We're starting a new series called Heal that's going to be kind of our kickoff for Celebrate Recovery um, starting in September. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Celebrate Recovery, it's talking about um, helping us heal from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And these are all things that I think all of us can relate to in one way or the other. But before we start um, getting into Romans chapter 12, which our series will be on, I just want to pray again for us um, that God would help us this morning. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would help me uh, teach your word in a way that's glorifying to you, God. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, Lord, would comfort us, God, and would empower us for um, the mission and the Christian life um, that you've set before us, God. So we thank you for being with us this morning, Lord, and um, we just thank you for the gift of your son, and eternal life. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you guys will turn to Romans 12. Um, we're gonna be breaking down this uh, chapter in four different sections, and this is actually a key part of celibate recovery. Um, but we're gonna be talking today about surrender and what does it mean to live as a living sacrifice and renew our minds in Christ. Um, we're also going to be talking later about using our gifts to be others focused and focused on glorifying God. Um, we're going to talk about forgiveness and how important that is in our healing. Um, and finally, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God and his mercy and how important it is to rely on the justice of God and not to take vengeance into our own hands when it comes to getting hurt. But it's uh, kind of funny how today worked out because me and John were actually planning on um, co-teaching today. But um, he got a little sick this week and so um, I got to, to teach today. And I'm excited about this because this scripture is very dear to my heart. And if you've experienced pain, um, real trauma, I hope this is a blessing for you today. And, you know, I got to a place about um, a year and a half ago that there were some hang-ups in my life that were going unaddressed. And um, I was in the full-time ministry and I was excited about what I was doing. But my health was kind of slowly and surely deteriorating. I didn't really know why. And I'd been to all these doctors. And I got to the point where um, there was just something wrong with me. I couldn't sit down to read. Um, the one place that I felt like I could always find refuge and security in my life was the word of God. No matter how bad things got, no matter how hard the ministry was, I knew I could sit down, I could get in the word, and I could find peace in Christ. But all of a sudden, in the span of about three years, I lost about 30, 35 pounds, couldn't keep any weight on. Um, I was having migraines all the time, extreme fatigue, couldn't sleep. And then the last thing that happened, all of a sudden I'm sitting down to read the word and I can't, I couldn't read. Uh, the words were like getting smushed together. The kind of, I would get this like vertigo type um, feeling. And the one place where I could, felt like I could find refuge, um, I couldn't find it. And in this season, um, there was a test of what was my foundation going to be when it came to, to being restored. Because when you're in pain, um, you get desperate. I can tell you what, I felt like I would do anything to get my health back, anything to get what I felt like my relationship with the Lord back. Because that intimacy and that hearing him started to feel like it was distant and distant um, just the further I got into this pain. And it ended up being the root of all this after seeing many doctors and all these different things, nobody could figure it out. Um, I talked to a Christian counselor named Steve Levitt and I found out my problem was anxiety and depression was causing all of my physical um, symptoms. And a lot of that was coming from some trauma, some church hurt um, and some hangups, like I said earlier in my life, that I was not handling well. And I'll tell you, as I've worked with a lot of people with addictions and trauma, 
I've seen some of the toughest guys I've ever met that that have been in gangs, that have been through prison. I've seen some of the most resilient women who have been single moms that have been through so much in their life. And for a lot of them, the, the root of why they've chosen a life of addiction or a life of being in a gang or a life of coping in these, these unhealthy ways has been an inability to deal with their anxiety, to deal with their depression, to deal with their hurts, their hangups and their habits. And so I really encourage you that if there's anything that sticks out to you today that you feel like it's unresolved in your life, don't push it off because the world will tell you to distract yourself. The world will tell you just to get busy, go on a bunch of vacations, find something that kind of numbs that pain and it's never gonna heal your heart. But the only thing that's ever gonna heal our heart is the gospel of Christ. And so as we go through Romans 12, if we just try to apply these principles they, don't, they aren't gonna really help us. If we just go to CR and try to apply principles, it's not gonna really help us, but it's the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit that actually gets to our heart that can bring true transformation. So if you guys will turn to Romans chapter 12, we're gonna read verses um, one and two that we're gonna focus on today. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. To not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what's important about this scripture is we're, we're in Romans 12, which is a little bit over halfway in the book of Romans. And I thought about this, I didn't, didn't do it, but thought about, you know, the first time the church heard the book of Romans, you know what they did? They read the whole thing. So I was thinking maybe we could just go around in a circle. We could read through the book of Romans today at church, um, which wouldn't be a bad idea. But I encourage you, if you've never done that, you should do that. You should sit down and you should read from chapter one to chapter 16, the whole book of Romans, because we're taking something that's in context of what Paul's been talking about during this whole book. And what he's been talking about during this whole book is the gospel. Chapter one through three, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and they're all guilty. Doesn't matter if you're a party animal or if you're the religious zealot that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Chapters four, five, six, seven, and eight, he's really talking about our new identity, putting our faith in Christ and the victory that we have as our flesh and our spirit battle um, in the earthly, earthly world that we're in. And then nine, 10, 11, um, he gets into the sovereignty of God and the mercy of God. The, the phrase, the mercies of God, is used nine times in chapters 9, 10, 11, which is why he says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's responding to, this is what happens when you've been impacted by the gospel. Now, chapter 12 is how you should live your life. And for me, the foundation that kept me honestly sane and I know this might sound funny to some of you, but I told my wife multiple times, I think I'm on the, the verge of a, a mental breakdown. And I didn't know what a mental breakdown looked like. I knew people could get to that point, but there was something going on physically and spiritually and mentally that there was seemed to be no, no cause and nothing that I could get my hands on that was bringing me um, success or, some, or, or to bring me healing. But there was one scripture, if you'll turn with me to 1 John um, chapter 4. That's the gospel. And at this time, I had um, had to step away from the ministry for a time. Um, 
after an unfortunate um, church split that was really hard for for my family and I. And um, Sarah was working um, as a um, sixth and seventh grade teacher. And I had our new baby who was about five months old at home. And I was barely functional enough to to keep him safe, but I, I could do at least that much. But in 1 John 4, verse 10, um, I would sit on our stairs as stone was ca- calling around and I would, I mean, I'm talking hours. I would just repeat this scripture to myself because I couldn't really read. And so it was just meditating on this scripture and it says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And when we're dealing with hurts and we're dealing with anxiety, we're dealing with things like depression. For me, I felt like everything that I was so passionate about life was taken away from me. The mission that I wanted to do for God and planting churches and reaching those in addictions and going to prisons, I couldn't do any of it because my body, my, my, my spirit was willing, but my flesh was really, 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 really weak. And even things like being a good husband and being a patient husband and being a patient father, I mean, that stuff was getting pushed to the test even on my day-to-day life. But this scripture is, was not that I love, it wasn't about my love for God. It wasn't about my service to God. It wasn't about all the things I was doing for God. But instead it says, this is love, not that I love God, but that he first loved me. And there was something about it that I would just think of was like, man, you know, God has loved me, truly loved me, has given himself for me when I've been at my absolute worst, when I have nothing to give him. I don't have a ministry to give him. I don't have great sermons to give him. I don't have a lot of wisdom to give him. All I have to give him is the strength to get out of bed and to watch my son while my wife's at work and I can't do anything that I want to do or I'm passionate about. But in that, that God was demonstrating to me that he loved me. And not only did he love me, but that he, he proved that he loved me by sending his son. And if you've been through trauma, or if you've been through ex- 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 excruciating pain, Something I want to encourage you with is there's nothing that you've experienced that Christ wasn't tempted with and that Christ at some level didn't experience. And there was something so comforting to me about that, that is, as much pain as I felt like I was in, Jesus Christ experienced everything. He experienced betrayal. His own family at times thought he was crazy. He experienced being misunderstood. And ultimately he experienced being crucified. But on the cross, Jesus didn't only suffer physically, But Jesus suffered spiritually, that Jesus had to become the sacrifice for our sin. I just want you to think about this for a second, that for any sinner who would ever go to hell because they don't repent in Jesus Christ, that ultimately they are coming under condemnation for their own sin. But Galatians tells us that Jesus Christ became a curse. He became condemnation on the cross for us, right? So Jesus experienced the condemnation of many people all at one time. And I believe that the wrath of God and the spiritual payment that was poured out on Christ was more painful for him than it would be for any single man even to go to hell for his own sins. That Jesus not only knows what it's like to suffer physically, but Jesus knows what it's like to suffer the effect of sin. Even though he was sinless, he became sin on our behalf. And as I'm thinking about this, that was the only thing that would really keep me sane was there was a love of God that was not based upon what I could do, um, what I could give him, how good of a Christian I was, but there was a love of God that was given to me purely out of grace, purely out of his sovereignty, purely because he chose me. 
but there also was that same God who was in control, that was in power, that could relate. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer and that's why he could sympathize with me and that's why he could be patient. I'm telling you, man, the patience of God for me during that season um, was so powerful. And Romans talks about it's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And I found that to be true, that some of my issues was because I had been hurt and there were some things that were out of my control that had happened to me in my life. But there were some things that I needed to repent of. There was things I needed to change my mode of thinking. I needed to turn from ways I tried to control my life, codependent relationships, all sorts of different things that I needed to let go of and give to God. And so I wanted to start with this because when he says, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If we haven't first been impacted by the mercy of God through the gospel of Christ, we can't offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so if you struggle with sacrificing for God, the, the thing to go back to isn't more performance and more dedication and discipline. The, the, the place to go back to is have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Are you actively tasting the goodness and the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ? And when we look at this this piece of becoming a living sacrifice after we've experienced the mercies of God, um, I don't know if anyone's bold enough to raise their hand if they know the answer to this question, but um, where is the first time the word worship is used in the Bible? in the book of Genesis. James, you know it? Okay, I thought you knew it. Um, And I ask this question because a a sacrifice is a form of worship. It's a form of complete devotion um, and giving of ourselves to God in worship. The Old Testament sacrifices were something that was given to God that was the first fruits of their, their labor in order to worship God, right? But those sacrifices died. So that's kind of weird, right? We're living sacrifices, we're not dead sacrifices because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But the first place in the Bible, the word worship, which is a form of sacrifice, or I guess the other way around, but it's in Genesis chapter 22, verse five. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis 22, verse 5, he says, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. What I find very interesting about this is that Abraham um, was about to go offer his one and only son. The very, the thing, Abraham had given up a lot. He left his home. He left his family behind. Um, he was a nomad. I mean, there was a lot of ways that Abraham had sacrificed for God, but there was no sacrifice that was greater for Abraham than offering up the very son that God had given him. And see, our acts of worship, God isn't looking for half-hearted worship and God isn't asking us to worship him with the things that don't cost us anything. See, for some of us, it's easy to serve and it's easy to come on Sundays and greet people or do whatever, whatever we, we do here at the church to serve. For some people, it's easy to give financially, to, which are all great things, to tithe and to support other people. For some people, maybe it's easy to do a sermon, to, to, to serve the church in preaching. 
But see, for all of us, there's something we don't wanna give up. There's something that we're, we're hiding. There's something that we're trying to protect. And sometimes through trauma and things like that, it, it's something like forgiveness, that we need to worship God by letting go of our control, letting go of our, biz, uh, our, our um, bitterness, to letting go of our anxiety and worshiping God by being vulnerable. And something that I learned in my time of anxiety and depression that I still battle with, but at, at the worst of it, um, there was some things I was being stubborn with God. I was frustrated with God because I felt like, man, I, I feel like I've poured out my life for the missions and that's kind of gotten me here. <laughs> I can't do anything. And it's, it's a very painful place to be. But I was reminded of the story um, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And when I was in Kenya, um, we washed the feet of some of the um, people that we were ministering to, of, of their children going to, to church um, and going to the school. And it was kind of an uncomfortable thing. I don't know if it, raise your hand if you've had your feet washed by someone. Okay, so we've got, got a few people who've done that. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of uncomfortable and it's a little bit humiliating for the person who's being washed um, unless you think of yourself more highly than the person washing your feet. Then you've got no problem with it. But if you view the person who's washing your feet as an as a equal or as a leader, it's kind of an uncomfortable place to be in. And when we washed feet in Kenya, I think it would be similar to biblical times that you know, they didn't really wear shoes and there was a lot of dust and dirt. It's kind of a gross experience, honestly, to wash someone's feet who's in um, that environment. And as Jesus is washing Peter's feet, what does he say? Lord, don't wash my feet. You know, I need to be the one washing your feet. But Jesus' response is interesting. He says, if, you don't, if, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. See, there was an element of, of Peter's pride that he thought was service. He thought that it was sacrifice. But in reality, it was pride that he didn't want to humble himself and let Jesus get to the weakest, grossest, most secret place of his life to actually bring healing. And for each one of us, we have to let Jesus get to the, the worst and the hardest parts of our life in order to truly be a living sacrifice for him. And when I think of living sacrifices, sometimes I can have a bad connotation because I go back to my sports days and being an athlete and there's performance, right? To be a living sacrifice, sometimes I can get in performance mode. I got to do all these things in order to please God. If you guys will turn with me to Hebrews um, chapter 11. Verse six. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, being a living sacrifice isn't about all the effort we can give to God, but, the, but being a living sacrifice is about, can you trust him? Because you can, First um, Corinthians 13 says it well. He says, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels. You can have the gifts of prophecy. You can have the gifts of wisdom and all knowledge that you can even offer your body to be burned as a martyr. But he says, if you don't have love, you're nothing. See, we can do amazing things for God. Matthew 7 says there's guys who prophesy and do signs and wonders and they stand before God and Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. So there's a million things we can do for God, but the thing God is actually concerned about is your heart. 
Is our heart actually surrendered to him? And are we willing to live by faith? Because he doesn't want our effort. But Jesus wants us to surrender to the grace of God and truly live by faith. And without that, it's impossible to please him in our own effort. And with that being said, you don't have to be a martyr in order to please God. But a really simple way to please God, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse 31, I got this scripture, well obviously it's always been the Bible, but I first got this scripture from um, Pastor Jake um, Roberts when I was in college and I was just saved and trying to figure out, you know, what were the things I could still do and what were the things I needed to give up and, you know, we always want to know how, how closely we can tote that line, right, when we first get saved to still be cool and still be a Christian And he gave me this scripture. Therefore, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And just ask me, Luke, on these things that you're wondering if you can do, can you glorify God in them? If you can't glorify God by doing that, then why would we do it? And that's what living, being a living sacrifice is about, is whether you eat or whether you drink. And he, he picks like the two most menial tasks that we do, eating and drinking. But the point is that anything that we do by faith for the glory of God is evidence of us living this life as a living sacrifice. So you don't have to go to China and be a martyr. But the question is whether you eat or whether you drink, whether you go to work, whether you spend time with your kids, whether you're with your wife, whether it's your thoughts that you don't actually say, but what's in your mind, that we can do everything by faith and relying on the grace of Jesus Christ in order to be a living sacrifice to God. So if you turn back to Romans 12, that's our picture of what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? To live by faith, to worship God. But just like David says, I won't, I won't sacrifice something to God that doesn't cost me something. See, sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, is gonna have to cost us something. And it's gonna make us uncomfortable to be a living sacrifice for the Lord, but it will be worth it. But Romans chapter um, 12, verse two, talks about our second step. He says, don't be conformed to this world. When you're going through pain, you're going through trauma, you're going through heartbreak, Don't cope in the way the world copes. But instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the word world in this context, really um, a good, good translation, some of yours may even say this, but is age. He's talking about really where do you put your hope? Don't be conformed to this world because this world is not your home. Um, the scripture calls us sojourners. And think about it this way. If, if I were to come to Scott's Bluff and I was gonna be here for a week and I was talking to you and I was telling you about what I was doing, it's like, well, while I'm here for just one week and after that, I'm gonna be moving on to California. But for this week, you know, I've bought a house and I bought bulk of, grocery, um, of groceries that I have enough groceries to last me um, three years. And um, I'm starting to look for jobs in the area. You'd be thinking... What are you doing? You're only going to be here for a week. Why are you planning as if you're going to be here forever, right? Well, that would, that, would be, that would be ridiculous. But in the same way, Jesus says that we're sojourners. We're just, we're passing through this life. Our hope isn't in this world. Doesn't mean you can't have a job. Doesn't mean you can't have a house or plan. But the point is, where's your hope? Where's your confidence? And here, 
um, Paul is talking about, if our confidence is in this life, is feeling happy and having success and making friends, we will conform to this world. But if our hope is in eternal things, we're gonna find this renewing of our mind a pretty awesome process. I wanna share just one thing that I've learned as I've studied anxiety and depression and um, just kind of mental illness and addictions is your brain is a very fascinating thing. And it's really encouraging to me that God wrote this in the scripture 200 years ago or 2000 years ago that, um, you know, they used to think your brain was basically done um, being shaped and molded by the time you're about 25 to 30, that once your brain was done developing, that was just kind of the brain you had. And so if you had trauma or you had addictions, your likeliness of really changing the way your brain um, functioned and the way it worked was basically over. And you just had to learn to cope with whatever was, was bothering you or hindering you. But what they found now is your, your brain can continue to develop and continue um, to mold really till the day you die, that, that it's just based like muscle memory. I don't know if you've ever not done something that you used to do all the time, like maybe riding a bike. And once you start, jump on that bike, it's like, boom, right away, your body remembers um, how to do that. In the same way, um, our brains kind of work like this with muscle memory. And so if you've developed a bad habit of, of being worried about everything or controlling, or you've experienced trauma and that trauma plays in your brain over and over and over. That's literally um, creating these neurological pathways that just like muscle, they just, it's muscle memory. They just repeat themselves over and over in your brain. And without intense discipline, those things won't get rewired. And it's cool because the Bible talks about this process, not only in the renewing of our mind in Romans chapter 12, but I want to read two Scriptures. I'm actually going to do these out of the um, NLT. I think they, um, it says it a little better, but um, it's, one is in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. And he says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud with loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. See, renewing our mind is a process. Even Jesus had to learn obedience to the things that he suffered. There's something about suffering and there's something about the sanctification process that takes discipline and diligence on our behalf. And if you've struggled with an addiction and you've tried really hard for a week and you wonder why it hasn't gone away. Well, it probably took you years to develop that bad habit. Now God can do a miracle and he can take things from us um, right away and heal us. But a lot of times God is challenging us and encouraging us to go through the process of suffering that we can know him and love him and be sanctified by him in a greater way. The second one is Philippians 4. This is verse 11 through 13. And he says, um, this is Paul speaking about all of his hardship. And he says, not that I was ever in need for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, 
whether it was full with whether it was with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who strength gives me strength. And see, even Paul, the apostle Paul, it wasn't like he just got saved and had this intense perseverance and power in the gospel. He had to learn. He had to learn contentment through the things that he suffered, that no matter what happened in his life, he could find contentment in Jesus Christ. So I think what's so important in this is one, to realize renewing our mind is a process. It's kind of like muscle memory. We have to practice going to the Lord day in and day out. Number two, you're not a victim. Paul did not see himself as a victim. Jesus did not see himself as a victim. Not because they weren't victimized. What happened to them was real. And what happened to you, I'm not minimizing that. You may have been a victim of a crime or of abuse or whatever it is. But being a victim isn't your identity. And that's what's so important is our identity is being new in Christ. And Paul didn't view himself as a prisoner of Rome. What does he always say? Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was always under the authority and the identity of being an apostle, of being a leader, of being a a, a Christian under the name of Jesus Christ. And number three, which will be our closing, is not only is this about muscle memory to renew our mind, not only is this about getting out of a victim mentality and coming into our identity in Christ. But number three is we have to realize we're, we're soldiers in the army of God. And in 2 Timothy, he says, no soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And again, think about this. If you were in intense combat and you're in the trenches, you don't just pull out your phone and get on TikTok or you don't just pull out your phone and watch Netflix while the bullets are flying past your head, right? You're gonna die and you're gonna get other people dead as well. That each one of us has a role in the body of Christ. If we're a genuinely saved believer, we have a role to partake in, in the warfare that we're really in together. And we have to renew our mind in a way that isn't just a cliche term that we say, but really that we view as a matter of life and death in the battle that we find ourselves in. And so if you turn um, to Ephesians 6, I'm gonna read this in one last scripture to close us. And I, um, again, with my inability to read for a while, um, I would pray through, and I still try to do this every day, but I would pray through the armor of God um, every day before my day started. And I would meditate on what do these things actually mean and how are these things preparing me to fight the enemy? Because I'll tell you what, if you've ever, um, some of you may laugh because you've experienced this, but if you ever experienced intense um, anxiety and you didn't quite know what it is, I mean, you would swear um, it's a demon or something. I mean, I thought for a while, I was like, man, this has to be like some sort of demonic attack in my life. And I'm not saying there isn't, there is, um, we're gonna read our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's, a, it's against principalities and powers. But some of the people that tried to help me with spiritual warfare, way too complicated. What God gives us in his word is very simple in how we combat the enemy. And I wanna read it real quick here in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take out the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The belt in the Roman um, soldier's uniform was, was the point of preparation. It got them ready. They had like these long skirts kind of. So they would gird their loins. They'd pull up these skirts. So they'd be able to be nimble. That the word of God, this belt of truth, is what prepares our mind to get ready for the day. So every morning to get in the word and ask God to prepare my mind, prepare my body, prepare my spirit for the, for the battle that was ahead. So number one, the belt of truth. Number two, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that again, our righteousness is not by our works, but our righteousness is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So getting away from performance, relying on the grace of God protects our heart and keeps our heart soft and attentive to God's voice. Number three, having shod your feet with the preparation, the gospel of peace. Nothing like trauma, anxiety, depression will get us self-focused, get us so focused on on ourselves and our own hearts. But the gospel of peace on our feet, I prayed every morning that as I went about my day, I would bring peace and I would bring the gospel to other people. That was outward focus, not just focus on myself, my own problems, but how can I serve others and be a blessing of peace? Number four, above all things, taking the shield of faith, which will quench, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Like I said earlier, there came a time where I felt like, man, everything in my life had been taken away as far as um, I wasn't able to engage my family in the way I wanted to. I wasn't able to engage the mission of God in the way I wanted to. But the Lord reminded me of the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what I found is if there's nothing that the devil, there's nothing that the world, and there's nothing that sin could ever do to take that away from me. Nothing can take away my ability to love God, to know God, and to worship God. And the shield of faith is that trust that greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world and that we can overcome anything by the power of Christ. Next, he says to take up the helmet of salvation. And again, that eternal perspective, I would just meditate on how beautiful of a picture of it it is that the Bible promises us that when we stand before God, that we could be holy and blameless, that, that the Father could see us exactly as he sees Jesus Christ, that I could stand before God and forever I'm gonna be able to worship and commune with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, at my worst days, that was, this was the biggest one for me is I would just meditate on eternity, that my reward's in heaven. And if you have been that person where like Abraham, God took away that thing that was most important to you, whether that be a family member, whether that be your health, whether that be um, a job or whatever it was that was just, that, that was meant so much to you. Um, and you've endured in faith, you may not experience the reward of that here on earth, of experience, or of, of persevering that suffering through faith, but your reward is in heaven and it's gonna be worth it. And when Jesus Christ looks at you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you endured through suffering, you learned obedience through suffering, even though you didn't experience happiness necessarily on earth, but you experienced peace, um, it'll be worth it. And finally, um, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I want to close with a, a scripture in Psalm about the word of God. I'm also going to read this one out of the NLT. Um, Psalm 19. It 
This is why you should read the Bible every day, maybe a couple times a day. The instruction of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey him. So as we enter into this series of heal, pray that each one of us would consider what it looks like to be a living sacrifice to renew our mind. I encourage you to pray through the armor of God every morning for a week, see what happens. Guarantee it'll change your week. It'll change your outlook on life. And for my healing, part of what I needed to do was get engaged in community. Renewing our mind is important. Being a living sacrifice is important. But I saw a Christian counselor. I went and talked to my doctor. I talked to a lot of people, got myself surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ that could help me through this. So that's part of the reason why we're offering CR. Don't do this on your own. And if you wanna talk to Pastor John or Pastor Ken, to myself, to our elders, we have people who are willing to walk with you um, through these struggles. And if you're struggling with addiction or anxiety, you're not crazy really not crazy and I, I thought I was crazy and I started to find there was very strong Christians um, in, in Christian history who struggled with things like this so um, I just want to pray for you guys and um, invite our, our, our worship team and <clears throat> Pastor John up for, for a time of response um, Father God we thank you so much for your faithfulness Lord we thank you that um, you aren't asking us to do something you didn't do Jesus you left your perfect home and entered into a world of suffering not because you had to, but because you loved us. So Lord, I just pray that you would renew our our minds through the identity that's found in Christ, God, and that we would be lovers and doers of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.